Welcome to episode four of 35th Wave on the Chicago Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Pulaski. Joining me are my co-hosts, Glennie Barnett and Daniel Urban. Another week in the books, another week of baseball under our belts, boys. How are we feeling today? Uh, a little bit of mixed emotions. This uh, We're recording during the NFL draft and the Bears just selected Justin Fields. I know we're a baseball podcast, but we're Chicagoans at heart. And the fact that we might have a competent quarterback just really excites us. And I'm also a little bit down because I had a flat tire today. So, uh, but I had to have that bad karma for the Bears get good karma of Justin Fields. So, I'm happy flat that tire? happened. Flat tire? Were you left on the, the side of the road? You had to call AAA? What, what, what happened? This nope. Is uh, just turned onto the highway and all of a sudden heard a pop. Uh, tire pressure went down. <laughs> I was just like, well, motherfucker, just after a long day. And then I uh, pulled into a hotel parking lot and actually had a construction guy help me. So, Wow. What a nice so- guy. What a nice guy is right. Gives us I would call AAA for sure. <laughs> I was debating it, but, you know, some of us are manly men. <laughs> Glennie, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm feeling good, you know. I mean, like Dan said, I'm excited about Justin Fields. You know, love, uh, love, love my uh, Bears still and just seeing a quarterback that, you know, my son could maybe wear a little mini jersey too and the quarterback of the future i'm very very excited about to me he was the second best quarterback in the the uh, draft but you know we are a baseball podcast and uh cubs i'm i have very mixed emotions it's we're either getting <laughs> shut out and swept or hey you know our offense wants to hit today and what i need to say is anthony rizzo needs to say in the fucking one slot i mean i feel like he might be the one of the best leadoff hitters ever played the game one put and in the rotation. <laughs> Don't forget, he is a, zero he's a, he's a great pitcher and a great oh, leadoff hitter. He that's struck right out former MVP, former MVP, former MVP, Freddie Freeman. <laughs> Maybe he can catch too. Fuck, strap on the gear, <laughs> throw it on. Yeah, put him everywhere. Superman it's, just fucking just has a big S on his chest right now. So, so the draft, the draft uplifted your spirits about the Cubs. So that's that's a good makes thing. it makes it more of an even keel for the week. Makes it look well, yeah, it makes it me look a little bit more forward to uh, football season, which means it's closer to playoffs. Which hoping the uh, Cubs will be in contention for. So, we, we're one month in, Glenn. You're already ready for the playoffs. Oh, I'm honestly I'm, ready I'm, to I'm waiting myself. for I'm waiting for <laughs> NFL fantasy drafts, which is one of my favorite times of the season. Which I know baseball playoffs are sniffing right up, uh, upon us. Right in there, yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Well. Let's 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 talk about uh, what happened since the last time we talked. Uh, Cubs uh, played a few games since the last time we spoke, but they went um, on a on a weird slide here, going two and five, losing a series to the Brewers and the Braves. Uh, wasn't uh, too pretty. The Cubs are looking for some momentum heading into this four game series with the Reds. Uh, what's going on in Cubs Nation, boys? Uh, where's our psyche at uh, coming into this next series and? And what do you think the Cubs can build on going to Cincinnati against a pretty decent ball club in the Reds? Well, what I think that they can take that momentum is that, one, they know that they have another bullpen arm in Anthony Rizzo, so that's at least a positive, you know, striking out MVPs. <laughs> um, but oh boy. I don't know. It's, it was a mixed series. You had some, you know, good f- offensive showings against the Braves, and it's like, well, where's this been every game? It seems like our offense is a big feast or famine. So you hope that if – you know, you're not always going to score 10 runs. You're not always going to score zero. If we can just get an average of four or five, I think that would take some pressure off our pitchers who I think they're pressing at the time because they know that they almost have to be perfect with a struggling offense. So 
I don't know, it's kind of a mixed psyche. It's almost just like that we're just flashes in the pan and not playing a consistent game. So if we can just kind of play a full baseball game or a full series, you know, that'd just um, be good to see. No, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, this is uh, just just I'll cut myself. Go ahead, go on, jump in. Oh no, I was just gonna say. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's either we're putting up runs or we're getting shut out and getting shut out three times this week alone. I mean, that's just it. it I, there's no in between with this team. It just got to put one full baseball game together, but also doesn't help when you have our starting pitchers and Kyle Hendricks being very, very uncharacteristic. And Zach Davies is just fucking God awful having career low numbers this year. And of course, took, you know, came in a Cubs uniform, which sucks, but not the start that anyone wanted, especially out of Kyle Hendricks, which is just, it's the biggest mind blown for me because anytime that I see Kyle Hendricks inked in as our pitcher, I am a hundred percent confident that we are going to go out there and compete and win that game. And that hasn't been the case so far this year. And it's just seven earned uh, and didn't even make it through four innings yesterday. It's just, I, I, I can't believe it. It's, it's really rough to watch. And just, I don't so know what, what's going on with him psyche wise. Right. I know he's very mental guy. He's very, you know, cool, calm, collected. And you've seen a little bit more emotion and frustration out of him this year. And I, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Cause that's, that's definitely one of the, um, it's one of the leading stories, unfortunately for this team this year, uh, looking at a guy who, who's, been pretty well experienced as now a veteran type guy at 31 years old has seen not only a world series, but uh, has been to the playoffs over uh, four or five times. Now you're, you're leaning heavily um, on a guy like Kyle Hendricks and, you know, he comes out and he, he has these starts um, that we've seen thus far have just not been very good. Um, there's nothing more gangster to me than a guy that throws 88 and shoves as opposed to, you know, a, a league in which there's, like, guys that throw 100 miles an hour and try to just overpower people, right? So Kyle Hendricks, for me, already has – me being a white – you know, my, myself being a White Sox fan, Kyle Hendricks already has uh, that going for him that he makes me want to see him succeed, right, just because of the kind of uh, competitor he is. Um, what I've noticed from him personally, and, and I am um, no expert by any means on – on professionals and how they work uh, a zone. But for me, I know that Kyle Hendricks bread and butter has been to live low in the zone with soft shit. And from what I've noticed in 2021, as opposed to his previous successful years, his even Cy Young caliber years is he's been up in the zone more than I've ever seen him before. And I think that's attributing to probably 80% of these things that are, are happening for him that aren't going his way. Um, Kyle Hendricks right now is, is one in three with a, a 7.54 ERA. And um, the strikeout numbers are down. The hits are up at this point. I mean, it's something that I think Cub fans in my personal opinion should be aware of. And I'm sure that David Ross is aware of this as well as the rest of the ball club, the organization, but I don't know if I'm ready to, freak out i don't know if i'm ready to hit the panic button and that's what i want to ask you guys about where are you right now on the kyle hendrick situation uh we know he's a pro we know he's a guy that's been there before he can do it we've seen him do it he's a proven person in this organization where do you guys think kyle hendricks is struggling most and and 
is this something that can be turned around in May and we kind of look at him as the guy from before, or is this something that's going to take time and, and maybe he does have to go have a stint down in minor league baseball to go figure it out? I don't think he's anyone that's going to need the minors. I think they – I mean, he's just leaving stuff up. But, you know, some of these – you know, a guy like Kyle Hendricks, it's almost better when his arm is kind of like dead. Like, he always gets better late in games. It just seems like his sinker moves more, his fastball cuts more. There's just a little bit more bite on everything. It's like a – you know, some people call it, it's called like a heavy arm or something like that. With, But, you know, he's struggled early in the season before, not to this extent, but, you know, usually his April starts aren't the best and he's a guy that gets better throughout the year. So um, hopefully it's just a bad and I guess really bad small sample size. Maybe the book's getting out on him more of just he's going to live low. So just look low. Don't expect anything up. Just hunt fastballs down or just hunt whatever, but it's just going to be low. So sit on that. So that may be working against him or, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. But I think he'll start turning around as he gets more innings. Yeah, one can only hope. <clears throat> Sorry, one can only hope. I mean, I just it's very just I, I, I can't explain the the uncharacteristic. This is a guy that's been absolutely consistent, you know, low ERA, always sitting there giving you quality starts, six, seven, eight innings. Guy that wants to sit there and go out in the ninth because you know he's under a hundred pitches and it just hasn't been there uh this year. And I'm not going to sit there and slap the panic button yet, but I'm going to definitely be keeping in the back of my mind that at sitting there sweating his next start and sitting there thinking twice in sports betting wise, Kyle Hendricks, what, what Kyle Hendricks are we going to get today? Are we going to get the guy that I've known and seen and watched for the last you know six, seven years, or is this going to be this new Kyle Hendricks who has a nine plus ERA and is absolutely, or sorry, seven plus ERA and just absolutely struggling and just, this is something that is hopefully will progress and something that is going to need to progress if if the Cubs are going to be anything successful and compete in this very, very winnable NL Central. I think you're hitting the nail on the head as far as the reliance in dependable Kyle Hendricks this year, right? Um, This rotation already uh, had a lot of questions going into it. Um, There's a lot of names in here that when you look at them, they at least give you the nostalgia of knowing that these guys have been good in the past, right? Jake Arrieta, Kyle Hendricks, uh, even Zach Davies coming back uh, back into the NL Central after kind of being a, a force over in, in Milwaukee for a couple of years. And Trevor Williams is a guy that the Cubs aren't uh, not, you know, not familiar with before, you know, this year in 2021. Um, Kyle Hendricks, though, is the guy, right? Kyle Hendricks is that is mm-hmm. the ace. He's the anchor of that staff in, in – in order, like you said, to c- compete in this division, I think you need him to build off of these starts that obviously he's not happy with. He's a guy that's a competitor. He's a hard worker. He's going to look at these starts as something that he knows has happened. And he'll keep – I don't know if guys are better keeping it in the back of their head or wiping it clean, but however he you know works his mechanism, this guy moving forward and being the pitcher that we know he is – benefits this ball club moving forward in 2021. Um, I guess to talk on a more positive note, because I've noticed it as a Sox fan, I think the baseball world has noticed it, but I think Chris Bryant has found himself again. Whatever that may may mean, uh, Chris Bryant is doing things like Chris Bryant can, right? And mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, I think Cub fans, as well as baseball fans, have been really frustrated with his performance. And I know we've talked about it on the show before, um, just, uh, you know, having a 310 average, six home runs and 17 RBIs, 
go coming out of you know the 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 first month of the season we just didn't expect this right um in 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 just his last seven games chris is brian uh chris is batting 393 with two walks seven rbis a home run and 11 hits uh with striking out eight times uh maybe being uh a little high there but I mean, this is this is a guy that's overachieving from where we thought he would be in 2021, uh, just based off of the last couple of seasons the guys had uh, injury riddled and really just struggling. Uh, how important is it right now to have Chris Bryant healthy, and how can we get the rest of this offense to contagiously join him and start mashing the ball like we know this middle of the lineup can and produce some more runs so these teams this team can walk away with some more victories. Well, Chris is uh, – we don't need to worry about him, but they need to – the rest of the team, I don't know, shower next to him, do, do something, talk to him more, pray whatever God you believe in so you can actually wake the bats up. Um, I was uh, – there was a stat the other day that's, you know, Mike Trout, how, you know, he's a god in baseball and that, but uh, his slugging percentage was 820. And this – and uh, that is higher than – that is a higher – his slugging is higher than the following OPSs, Rizzo, Hap, Contreras, Baez, Hayward, uh, Hap. So basically Mike Trout is out slugging the entire uh, Cubs offense. So if they can get going and get behind Chris, give him more RBIs, maybe get him an extra couple million in free agency, that's about, you know, all I got to say. Yeah, I just I think they just need to start feeding off it. They need to start having a little bit of fun again and enjoying the game of baseball. And I'm gonna say it again, Chris Bryant needs to be a fucking leader out there. It's the one thing that I really, really see that he's lacking and he wants to be, you know, the man. He wants to be the guy. He wants to get paid. Go and be a leader out there. You get you get involved. Get you some chatter going. Get you know, get something going. Get these guys up. Because right now, obviously they're either having fun because they're hitting the ball or sitting there half pissed off and Anthony Rizzo's, you know, striking out fucking former MVPs. And you never want to see a pitcher in the game on your team because you know damn well that's a terrible, terrible fucking day for you. But it <clears throat> granted that was very, very fun i love the video watch it many times the, the big smile on freddie freeman i think is great but i mean just chris bryant needs to be that anthony rizzo is what i'm trying to say i guess you need to sit there and be a vocal presence on this field and in the dugout anywhere so chris bryant has been a a, a shining um a bright spot i should say on this team thus far and um something else that's been a bright spot for this last week uh it came in a, in, a, in a timely manner when you lose Jack Peterson, the DL or the IL as they call it now, um, you really didn't know where the Cubs were going to go to go ahead and get that other, you know, another bat in the lineup. Right. And um, we all hoped Nico Horner would be joining this team uh, before the season started. It didn't work out that way. Ended up on the alternate site for a few weeks. Uh, but Nico Horner has come, to the major league level and uh, has a hot start after being optioned to the alternate site uh, over 30 days ago. Uh, didn't meet his service time, but we're seeing this guy come to the major league level and do what they, what they really expected him to do. So in 25 at bats, Nico Horner has been 360 with four RBIs and he's been a little bit of a spark plug to this offense thus far. Um, I think Cub fans were disappointed before the season not seeing him break the major league roster and get up there and, and get these at-bats that we know 
that Nico Horner deserves right now uh, in in the the start and the the middle of the meat of this lineup that's been struggling this year. Um, Dan, I mean, what do you think about Nico Horner thus far? I know we got to see him a little bit last year and and see the kind of things that uh, he was able to accomplish both as a defender and as a guy at the plate. But now starting this season off at, at a 360 batting average, a, a burning hot uh, flame right now in the middle of this lineup. Um, what do you think this is going to be able to do for this Cubs team leading the rest of the way? I mean, how can they build off of uh, this hot start off of Nico Horner? I think it's almost the same with Brian, where it's just like, okay, guys, follow him somewhere. Do Eat the same food. Do something. It's just – I just don't get why he wasn't. I know they're trying to manipulate the service time thing to keep Nico down. It was just so hard to justify with, you know, how he came so hot out of spring training. And then before he serves the 36 days of service time, you bring him back up. And now he's the cornerstone of the offense. So it's like, well, I'm not really sure what the plan was there. You know, I'm glad he's up. But if we were going to try and keep him for another year, why not wait an extra, what would be a week, week and a half then, you know? See, my, I'm, I'm all for it. I think he should have been up since the beginning of the year. Um, I absolutely hate that fucking little hidden rule that teams and, you know, ownerships love to manipulate. And it's a Chris Bryant 2.0 situation. It just needs to be fucking erased from baseball, in my opinion. But to see what he's done and the spot that he's earned uh, since spring training, he said he needed to, you know, bulk up and hit, you know, uh, extra base hits into the gaps. And that's exactly what he did. And he's earned every spot come up and proved exactly that he should have been up here the whole time. And I can't wait to see Nico Horner in the future. Just pray to God that Javi stays healthy because he looks really, really rough at shortstop. So hopefully he plays his true second base and uh, really, really sparked to this lineup. Hitting in the leadoff spot now with, uh, you know, Rizzo taking off and hopefully, you know, David Ross has a little bit more fun with this lineup because it, it, it obviously worked tonight. But Nico Horner, no matter where he's at, he's going to sit there and rake and hopefully he continues this hot streak with the bat because God knows the Cubs need it. Real question for you. Um, and I've had a conversation with, with quite a few people and obviously I have a different perspective because I'm an outsider, right? I'm not a Cub fan. Um, I see the kind of things in the lineups that David Ross puts out every day and I don't question him. I don't have a problem with the things that he's been doing so far. But, you know, the Cubs are obviously off to a rough start, again, with an offense that seems to not be able to wake up early in the season. Uh, and unfortunately, last year in the 60-game season, it you know, having a, a bad late start, um, it definitely they, – they ended up in the playoffs, right? They won the division, and that, that's the goal mm-hmm. every year you go into the season. But it wasn't the year that you wanted to have. Um, I guess what I'm asking is, is – so far, looking at David Ross's career as a Cub manager thus far, are you guys happy with what he's brought to the table, or are you guys not satisfied with his managerial uh, expertise thus far? I think he's a good manager. I think there's also it's hard to <laughs> it's hard job to do when you know your lineup isn't hitting, and it's like, well, these are only the guys that I'm dealt with. I can try and move guys up and down it. I can give them a rah-rah speech. I can tell them whatever. But, you know, bottom line is if no one's hitting and no one's pitching that good, it's like, well, what do you want me to do? These are the guys that are on the field. Maybe we're just bad. That's why we're in last place in the NL Central. So I think he's a, a good manager. I think he has his guys' backs. I think he's made good decisions. You know, it's just 
I, I feel like just the attitude is in the 2016 Cubs of we're just going to come here and kick everyone's ass. It's almost like, is this it? I guess we're playing for contracts now. This isn't, we're not as good as we used to be kind of deal. So, but I've been happy with Ross so far. I think you're getting exactly what you expected out of a guy that doesn't have any kind of coaching experiences, just has a completely great baseball IQ and <clears throat> catchers in general, I think are make the, the best managers because their IQ is always off the charts and the smartest person on the diamond that is overlooked in every aspect, including money wise. But that being said, uh, David Ross, I think, is doing and learning as he goes. And he's sitting there. He's played for great managers in Joe Madden, Bobby Cox, and just learned and taken everything he can. And, you know, it, it's his second year doing this, and he's – He's going to learn. He's going to get better. And with a struggling offense, there's not much you could do except sit there and try to pick the right guys and be able to use the uh, pitchers and the pen uh, when you want them in situations you want them to and not have to burn through them because our starters can't go three, four innings, which needs to completely change in itself. But as a manager, the only, I guess, negative thing I would say about him is I don't see much accountability uh, being held by these players. I think he might need to, I don't know if he's behind closed doors, if he's getting on them more, but maybe start getting on these players' asses and might, maybe not have that little Grandpa Rossi feeling, you know, hold these players accountable for. <clears throat> uh, That's the only thing though. Like I feel like, and this is the conversation that we're going to continue to have. How do you have that conversation when you're their peer only, you know, remove three years? You know what I mean? That's right. where I, I have the trouble understand i get why they made the move originally i don't I, I i see who he's been mentored by and you look at guys like bobby cox hall of fame managers guys that have really gotten the job done right, right. but you look at him thus far and i feel like cub fans have set the bar so low because the, he walks in last year in 2020 and wins a division uh basically with a team that just didn't perform to to its highest uh to its highest expectation or its highest uh potential i should say um and i just feel like we can't set the bar too low and i know this team has issues you know in in performance right now but when this team starts heating up and this team has to make hard decisions i'm really wondering how he's going to go about those things i'm kind of excited to see where he goes when they actually get into some big meaningful games because last year, in you know, playing Miami at home, that obviously wasn't the answer, right? I mean, yeah, well, they scored one run in two games, and both pitchers went five, you, six, seven, whatever it was. You're right. And, you have to have the performances. I'm not saying you, you put those on his shoulders, but I'm just saying mm -hmm. going from here on out, if you guys finish in a fifth-place spot, I think that's a time to panic and maybe hit the panic button on a manager decision. And, oh, I would. Um, I'd if we're in fifth place, and um, you know the Pirates are currently in third. But if we finish fifth place in the division, I mean, that well, that means one that we just had a complete and utter fire sale, and no one's coming back. And we said, well, dynasty's over. But if we finish fifth, whew, I I have to convert to you Southsiders, which so I have some hope. <laughs> yeah, it's it, you know, I don't know it, if it, I've it, ever seen that low, but. It definitely make me a little bit. You finish below these pirates. I know they're eleven eleven, but if you finish below these pirates, <laughs> oh, it's gonna be with a the talent you have. Oh, I'm, I feel you. It'll definitely be a blow, but I don't know if I transfer to the south side. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's but plenty of room, plenty of room here. But, um, but yeah, it's it's a different feeling on both sides of town. But you know, last last time we talked, I think the Cubs were feeling pretty good. And you look at this week. Now we're gonna talk a little bit about the White Sox. 
they're in a decent spot right now. Um, after winning uh, tonight, the Sox have gone, uh, you know, five and one in their last six games, um, winning a series against Texas and and uh, and and almost sweeping the Tigers. Uh, unfortunately, losing one of the strangest games I've ever seen, snapping their uh, three-game win streak. Uh, you see what they were. I don't know if you guys caught that game. We, I just want to talk about this real quick. Do you guys oh, yeah. remember the last time you guys – because I, I don't think I've ever seen it before. The last time you guys have seen a game in which a team gave up five errors in five consecutive innings, so one error per inning, and the team ends up walking away with a win. I'm going to guess that happened a couple days ago, and that's the only time in history. I I don't know if it's ever happened. I would have to look that up. But Detroit ended up doing that and kicking balls and throwing them around, not taking care of the baseball for five innings, giving the White Sox two runs, giving them a a, a quick two spot, in which the White Sox just refused to score runners in scoring position and, and capitalize on opportunities. But um, you know, th- it was a good week. Other than that strange game, it was a really good week. Um, the White Sox had a lot of strong starts from their starting rotation. Uh, Carlos Rodon today in the first half of the uh, doubleheader uh, moves to 4-0 with 12 Ks against Detroit uh, with six innings pitched um, and then turning it over to uh, Liam Hendricks, who earned his fifth save today, earning his third since the last time we talked and uh, picked up a win in the, uh, this week too. Um, I think it's time to, to have the conversation. Carlos Rodon has never lived up to the expectations uh, that were kind of set for him by both Major League Baseball and by the organization. Riddled by injuries and, and an interesting career thus far, um, I think it's time to have the conversation, though, whether Rodon is the ace of the staff or not. I, I'm not saying – I know people, all White Sox Nation, just, just – <gasps> One of those, one of the, one of those, like just how dare you, uh, you know, exhales. But it, right now, Rodon is pitching like the, the the ace of the staff. I know he's getting the ball every fifth day, you know, and I I'm getting excited when he's the fifth pitcher in this in this rotation. But I mean, the guy throws a no hitter. He's basically been untouchable this year, uh, just racking up the strikeouts. Um, Almost he's a completely perfect. different pitcher, it seems like. He's a completely different guy. And this is a guy out of NC State that we were looking at as a possible plus left-hander who would give us, uh, you know, all-star caliber, you know, starts and, and all-star caliber seasons every year. Now it's coming to fruition. And you see what Ethan Katz has been able to accomplish with Carlos as well as what Carlos was able to do with a chip on his shoulder and, and uh, the willingness to put in the work. And it's just been unbelievable all year. Um, 4-0, 12 Ks against Detroit. I don't care what team it is, 12 strikeouts in a game, especially six innings in one of these short games. Unbelievable start. And then, you know, you hand the ball over to Dylan Cease in the second uh, half of this uh, doubleheader, and he gets a win with nine Ks uh, and just looks absolutely untouchable again. So you have the starting rotation – with Lance Lynn obviously missing his last start, hopefully going to be stepping in uh, this weekend. Uh, I think tomorrow is actually his scheduled start if he's, if he's going to make it. Um, this rotation has been putting in work. I'm really excited, and I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, but I guess the, the most important part of this rotation stepping up and, and what I got to get back to, I kind of lost track there for a second, but 
Carlos Rodon, man, uh, is it time that we actually start talking about this guy? Is is he's going to be the pitcher of the month, right? I mean, he's got to be the American League pitcher of the month. More than likely, yeah. And he's a guy that has struggled all the way up into this point. So I guess I want to know from an outsider's opinion, what do you think is different about Carlos Rodon in 2021 than what we've seen from 2015 till 2020, really? Well, I think one is he's actually finally healthy. We know he's had shoulder problems, elbow problems, and they just keep flaring back up. So maybe maybe he finally had a chance to get healthy. Maybe COVID, just the extra time to, you know, heal some injuries, not as much wear and tear, and all of a sudden he's back at 100%. He's the guy that he drafted, you know, way back when. And it was just like, well, we're going to write him off as a bus. It's a, but And maybe just um, getting non-tendered and signing back, maybe it was, uh, you know, the kick in the ass that he needed to – Go. He was oh, almost shit, a Cub bro. during that non-tendering. Yeah. He actually was going to throw a few bullpens to the Cubs over at Wrigley Field. And uh, looking back at that, wow. That yeah, and then we traded for uh, Zach Davies. So. <laughs> <laughs> I said, and at the time, you know, when, when I had heard that Carlos was going to get um, some looks by the Cubs, I laughed at the time with a coworker at the time who, who was a diehard Cub fan. And I told – uh, I told him, I said, you know, maybe we can go see if uh, Fergie can throw still, or maybe we can go grab uh, Zambrano and see if he's still around. You know, like I was just he's wondering why Chicago would you dogs. go? Right, he was, he was a dog. <laughs> but he's I'm saying, you know, a year or two ago, he did, he did. He was trying to make a big comeback. But I, my my whole point being was, why were they kicking the bottom of the barrel as far as starting pitching goes? And you look at what Rodon has done, and and it would have been a, a, a fantastic. Um, acquirement if the Cubs would have gotten their hands on Carlos Rodon. But um, lucky enough, uh, Carlos wanted to stick around, and uh, the organization came together with Carlos and made it happen. But, I mean, this guy's pitching like the front horse of this staff, and um, it, it's just something that has been really crazy. There's no words to describe it, really. I, it's something that I would have never guessed. Rodon moves to 4-0 with 12 Ks um, against Detroit, which uh, was a big momentum booster. And it's mo- moving us in the right direction. And then he hands the ball over to Liam Hendricks, which I don't know if you guys have been seeing these uh, these stories about Liam Hendricks, but the guy is a fucking psycho. Um, Relief pitcher, a psycho? Wow. No, you never know, that is... That is usually the the uh, the shtick, but but get this: the guy uses tarot cards in his own tarot card reader. He believes in all ESP and uh, psychics and all these things. He actually has a personal uh, tarot card reader on on speed dial. Like he's able to call her up and he she tells him that he needs to bring bring positive vibes or or however he's able to keep his like. I so what know. if this lady just goes like, hey, man, the vibes are off. It's like, coach, can't go in. Sorry, man. It's like, it's game seven of the World Series. Nah, man, vibes are off. Dude, I, I thought Pedro this Serrano myself. answering to Joe Boo. Joe Boo, it's, it's <laughs> kind of Joe Boo-esque. You need to just say, fuck you, Joe Boo. I do it to myself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's kind of Joe Boo-esque. It's like, kind of like otherworldly, like freaky, weird, like shit. And uh, man, that's some weird shit. I've never heard anything like that for a I, player or any kind of athlete. I was so surprised to hear it. And, um. You know, you see the the demeanor he has on the mound. Um, he he, I think he threw maybe four sliders today, and in his last appearance, I don't think he threw a fucking breaking ball. 
He might have thrown – he probably threw one. It was a 40-footer. He did nothing but throw 98, 97-mile-an-hour cheese over the plate. I mean, he's just trying to go out there and, like, be like a fucking Super Saiyan out there on the mound. He is just trying to go another level, make himself something that, you know, elevates from this planet. And when he goes out there, at first, when I first saw him come out there uh, maybe a, a couple weeks ago, I saw him go out there and I saw him give, out, uh, give up a run, uh, um, a long ball to – at the time we were playing who at home shit. I don't remember, but not my, my point is guy drives the ball out of the left center and it, 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 you know, your heart starts to sweat and you're like, fuck, did we make the right move? Did, is this guy worth all the money? Is this going to be, and then you see what Alex Colomay is doing over in Minnesota and it, it kind of weighs out and you're like, all right, so this guy's not getting the job done. This guy is close, but he's still not getting the job done. Liam Hendricks though. The last three appearances he's had has been nothing but lights out. Um, so that was really good to see. Andrew Vaughn stepping up, uh, three hits tonight with two doubles. Um, a guy that I thought was going to possibly be moved down to the minor league level seems to be trying to fight his way into the starting rotation and uh, you know playing left field every day, um, which is awesome to see. And then the big story I got to talk about, uh, a couple nights ago, Lucas Giolito gets a start uh, against Detroit after bouncing back from the Boston slaughter, which, Dan, I know you got to watch that game. We were talking about how the game doesn't even count because it's fucking before 12th. But, uh, and it's on, and it's on Patri- uh, the Boston, the Boston Marathon, so you got all the, you know, the vibes there. It's just it's one of those you can't win. It you just can't doesn't win. happen. But um, Lucas Giolito really did have a strong start. Um, he, he went six and two thirds and gave up four while striking out seven, which uh, although it wasn't his best start, it was not a start that the uh, White Sox will shy away from. I mean, with the offense that we have, it should be enough to win a ball game. Right. But you look at that uh, sixth inning and uh, I, I don't know if you watch the game boys, but uh, it came a time, it came a crossroads between Tony and, and, and the fans again. Um, so Lucas goes out there, I think walks the leadoff guy and, and he was at like 90 pitches or something like that going into that. He was up there. He was up there. And, um, Tony stretched him and let him, uh, with a runner on in scoring position at second. I'm not sure how he got there, whether it was a ground ball or a bunt or how he got over, but, uh, they had Wilson Ramos come to the plate. Um, Wilson Ramos spent a lot of years in Washington. He's a masher uh, playing uh, in Detroit, trying to give them a veteran presence. Uh, always could hit, right? Um, Gio had, had gotten him out a couple times during the game, but they'd been hard lineouts. So the disconnect between the fans and everybody else analyzing the game and Tony La Russa, uh, Tony leaves him in this game and tries to stretch his, his starter while warming up Cody Hoyer and Wilson Ramos goes ahead and doubles in the gap. So to me, I feel like that's a perfect time to pull him out of that game. Now that you have a runner on second, there's, I think there was maybe one out in the inning and you have uh, a tie ball game, a one, one game or a two, two game. I, I think it would have been a perfect time to have pulled uh geo, but I want to know your guys take, on where you feel, um, I guess, what, what, is, what is your feeling on stretching out starters in this day and age? In 2021, 
is it worth it to try and, and, you know, and I didn't even mention uh, after Wilson Ramos had said double the very next pitch to fuck. I should have looked all this up. The very next pitch goes out of the park to right center field uh, for a two run home run and the Sox trail four to two after this inning. Uh, I guess my take is, or my, my question is, what is your uh, take on starting pitchers getting stretched later into games and Tony riding out his ace a little longer than maybe what uh, Lucas Giolito thought he would leave him in for? I mean, I'm all, you can kind of stretch for a guy when he's at 75, 80 pitches. I mean, like, can we just give him a little bit more? You know, he hasn't thrown that much, but once he – we all know that, you know, 100 pitches is pretty much what everyone's trying to keep it at, you know, maybe go a little longer for complete games or no hitters or whatever it is. But it's just like, okay, he, he's in the 90s of pitches. And all of a sudden he's been hit hard, hit hard. It's just like, you know, the second that first guy gets on, you get the bullpen hot. Second there's another hit. Second there's a run in. And it's just like, okay, now we got to get him in. You know, why he left him in and gave him the old Dusty Baker treatment on the 03 Cubs. We're just going to run him into the ground until he figures it out doesn't really work. And I don't know it. I was watching that game and I was just like, why is he still in there? And it was just hit after hit. And it's like, he doesn't have it. And you just have a manager standing there going, I'll give him one more batter, two more batter. And then boom, game gets away. Yeah. And and you bring, you bring Cody Hoyer in there. Maybe it's a a different situation. Maybe he gets the final out and you're, you're still in a tie tie ball game. Uh, You know, it's all shoulda, woulda, coulda right at this point. But um, Glenny, I mean, I think that as a competitor in all of us, uh, all of us being uh, baseball players at one point in time, I think I understand Tony's dedication to giving a guy a ball later into a game, believing in his horses to get the job done. But when a guy's at a hundred pitches and he's seemingly struggling in April, that's a very yeah. good point too. But seemingly struggling late in the game to get these last two outs, to get you out of an inning, to keep you in this ball game. I mean, it's a no-brainer. You have to go to the pen, right? A hundred percent. There, mm-hmm. there should have been somebody up before that inning even started, especially him over ninety pitches. Because, like, I mean, like you guys said, hundred pitches pretty much is the norm, unless you're fucking dealing. You, you got something special going that day. You can extend it a little bit more. But someone should have been up in the pen that before that inning even started and as soon as that first hard hit ball uh doubled however however he got the second it doesn't matter you know it, I, I personally did not watch the game I just kind of getting back and forth between the pitch track and such and just you need to pull him there I don't care it, it, like I mean you just said Dan it's April you know this isn't a, a must win game right now but you need to sit there and he's a gamer he wants the ball you want to sit there and trust your guy think that he could get the final out but there's a time where say Tony needs to look at hey, it's very early in the season. Let's hand it off. He just doesn't have it right now. He's getting a hit. He's, you know, 100-plus pitches. You know, the, the, the movie should have done even before the even, inning even started. But as soon as that first hit, he should have been out. A hundred percent. You know, uh, the double the double in the gap, I feel like, is the time you're like, all right, it's time. You know, and, and that's it's a momentum builder. Um, and just even giving I, – I think – Tony even realizes this. I think every baseball person knows this. When you have momentum going like that and you have to go to the bullpen, sometimes even that short, brief pause in the game, just getting them out of that just hit, 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 hit rhythm and allowing another arm to come into the game can also just create momentum, reverse momentum going the other way, giving you the, in turn, 
the momentum and, and the ability to get out of the inning and then go ahead and create some runs the next inning. Um, it was, it was, a, it was a, oh, God, no, go ahead. I was going to say, it just gives those guys a different look and, uh, you know, different arm slides, different delivery, you know, different pitches, speeds, you know, these guys sit there and do crazy spins with the ball nowadays. It's, it's insane to watch. And some of these, you know, sliders that fucking just sit there and dance right across the plate. And some of these curveballs that just drop out from the sky. I just, I, I don't understand how they're getting so much, but I mean, it's, it's. No, it's, it's, it's getting to a point though, where, you know, like, everybody everybody's got like those six or seven weapons down the pen throw 100 miles an hour spin the ball you know crazy spin rates things like that so when you have those weapons it makes no sense to keep stretching a guy like this especially right now maybe in august september october of of course those are the times you got to make those tough decisions and maybe you walk away with a win in October with a guy like Lucas Giolito, as opposed to April when they're still building up to these positions. But, you know, uh, I think the disconnect really showed though, at the end of the game in the post uh, post game uh, press conferences, Lucas Giolito said, I just didn't have it anymore. He, he, ex- he explained that he just had lost it at that point, like just didn't have it going. And then, Tony actually didn't realize that Lucas was out of gas supposedly because when the reporter actually had given him that quote, he said, he said that. And, and of course the reporter, uh, you know, responded. Yes. I, I don't know the name of the reporter uh, who asked this Thanks. question, but uh, Tony said, well, then that's on me. I should have had him out of the game. Um, so I, I guess that disconnect it's okay in April, but if we have this disconnect in October, you're going to have a mutiny. So I'm hoping that this all gets smoothed out now and we move past it. Let's get back into the positives. Michael Kopech, uh, we have had countless conversations amongst ourselves on where we see this guy this year. Um, but we decided to ask you guys on the Twitter, in a poll setting, uh, what was Michael Kopech's future in the rotation if you had the opportunity to go ahead and place him um, on this ball club? Where, where does he fit in? And out of our, our polling here, 41.2% said that, yes, he belongs currently. He should be in that rotation today. Uh, 5.9% of you said, no, we need him healthy. So apparently there are some people that are still kind of weary on the fact of push, you know, pressing him and pushing him uh, to more innings here uh, early in the season. And the most dominant response was at 52.9% was yes. I want to see him in the rotation, but later in the season, Um, my personal opinion, my vote, if I were to vote on this, I probably would have said the same thing. I think he's ready to go ahead and be in the starting rotation. I don't think that the hesitation is going to help. If you need him in the bullpen, um, that would make more sense. You know, if you needed him as an everyday guy, an everyday setup guy, that would make more sense to me, uh, maybe holding him out of the rotation. But right now, Kopech is kind of just a puzzle piece. You know, you can use him as a long relief guy. You can use him as a closer. (laughs) You can use him as a setup guy. Fuck, they're starting him, right? So he's been everywhere. But he's for a hell of a me, fucking puzzle piece. He's a hell. Of, he's this fucking Swiss Army knife, man. He he can do it all. But for me, knowing the kind of guy he games he's giving you out of the starting rotation and the ability to get you a W early in the game, taking 
basically all the confidence out of these hitters early on in the game, and he's going to have a clunker here. It's bound to happen that he's just going to get ripped up. But I'm saying, while the hand is hot, you need to fucking ride it. Kopech stats thus far, 2-0, and a 172 ERA. In 15.2 innings pitched, the man has 27 Ks with a whip of a 0.70. Uh, his win against Texas, that start the other day, five innings pitched, four hits, one earned with 10 strikeouts. Five innings pitched, 10 strikeouts is a, an incredible feat for a guy that hasn't started a game since 2019 and took the entirety of the 2020 yeah, season off. I, I mean, that's I, I guess I want to know what, what you guys think. What's your opinion on Michael Kropak? Being Cub fans, I know this is something that um, – you guys, as baseball fans, I know have, have kept a close eye on him and seeing what he's been able to accomplish. But um, our, our fans say that they would like to see him later in the season. I'm, I'm on the fence whether I want to see him later in the season or if he belongs today. I, I, just, I think you just ride out however he feels. And if he can give you five innings every start he goes out there, I think that's more than enough. And then you can push him as he's ready to go ahead and make those steps into a sixth and seventh inning start. Your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I think starting off early, maybe whatever, set a pitch count, 80 pitches, five innings, whatever it is, or something like, you know, third time through the order, or if there's like a kind of a long inning where they score a bunch of runs, just be like, you know, we don't want them sitting for too long. Just don't want to, you know, you just tighten up, whatever. But, I mean, if he's healthy and he's feeling good, and, I mean, <laughs> just think of, you know, how half the rotation can't pitch like he does, but – I mean, you got a guy that's going to be wiping people away and, you know, all of a sudden maybe it's Rodon and uh, Kopech, the one-two instead of Gio and Ryan Slim. Isn't that a mind fuck? Just completely? Yeah. Never would have thought that a month ago. You trade embarrassment Dane of riches. You trade Dane Dunning because you think you need another ace type and you go ahead and you get Lance Lynn, who's been fantastic this entire season. Uh, you know, he's battling an injury right now, but you expect him to be back tomorrow. Um, between Geo, Keiko, Lynn, Rodon, Cease, and Kopech, you have a six-man rotation, which that's when it becomes hard, right? And now because, you know, I think that also lights a little fire under Cease. Whether people want to realize that or not, having the ability to go ahead and spot start Michael Kopech you have to be – if I'm Dylan Cease, I have to know that in the back of my head that my job's on the line every day I go out there because I have a guy that's behind me right now that just strikes out the fucking world. So if I want to keep my job in the starting rotation, I have to step it up. And today he did and was fantastic against uh, a very mediocre team in Detroit, but they're a rebuilding team and a team that I think will be an up-and-coming team, and they're no, they're no slouch team for sure. Um, it's just – Something that I think that we have to keep our eyes on is Michael Kopech and, and what he's able to accomplish with this team because this is a guy who, before the season started, if you would have asked me if he was a, in, in contention for a Cy Young Award, I said he's going to be in the bullpen. I would doubt it. But, you know, making a transition into, into the starting rotation definitely opened some doors for him as far as uh, the, uh, the academy goes, the awards this year. But um, – I'm just really excited to see what Michael Kopech is able to accomplish, and I'm hoping that they start making those decisions sooner than later. I would rather see him start breaking the starting rotation in maybe May or June as opposed to August and September. I think it's a harder transition to make 
later in the season. I would like to see him kind of work into that role slowly, kind of how he has so far. Uh, I don't mind him being in the pen uh, in between, but um, it's time to start making those hard decisions now because if you're going to be in contention, I think you need the best five guys out there every five days. So that's my take on it. Uh, I'm sure that there's probably a hundred different ways to think about it. I'm sure people are going to disagree. And I also think that people are going to uh, praise us for just even having the thought uh, that this guy, you know, or praise, I should say, Tony for having the thought to put this guy in the starting rotation. Uh, let's, let's move on from, uh, Chicago baseball and get to a little bit of a, uh, general baseball talk, uh, something that's kind of been sweeping the nation as far as, um, debate in baseball. Um, before the season started in 2020, major league baseball decided to go with seven inning double headers, which we thought was a, a thing that was only going to stick around for maybe a year. Um, it was agreed upon by both the players association and the owners, as well as professional baseball, that everybody would be playing these seven inning uh, double headers and they would count as normal games. So finally something that was going to affect the record book happened in one of these seven inning games, which we all kind of asked these questions a year ago. And that is, you know, what happens when a guy has a no, no going through seven innings. Um, Madison Bumgarner finally did just that through a seven inning no hitter and major league baseball is not recognizing it as a no hitter. Um, I know what I think about this situation. I really want to know what you guys think. Um, But as, as a regulation game in major league baseball, should a seven inning no hitter count as a no hitter? Even if it's asterisked, you can give your little, explanations as why or why not this should be considered an auto hitter. So let, I mean, tell me what you guys think, Dan, what's your thoughts on this? As much as I hate to say it, I don't think it counts as a no hitter just because I, I mean, think about how many no hitters we've seen and that would be seven innings or what if the game ended in the eighth because of rain, is that considered a, a no hitter? Cause we went, you know, long enough or I mean, how many, like I said, how many times it's, we're in no hitter watch, you know, so-and-so's in the seventh, always in the eighth and then the ninth, he blows it. You know, it's, I, I really don't like the seven inning double headers just because it's just, it just throws everything I off. I yeah, hate it's, it. I, that's not baseball. Like that's the point. They can't play an extra four innings because I don't know. They, I, I get the idea because they're trying to get as many games in because of, covid stuff might happen and getting in double headers but just it's just not the same game it's just trying to i mean it's way easier to pitch seven and then you know nine it's just a simple fact it's what one or two more relievers that's pulling the starter maybe a couple of batters early because you know you can't do anything it's i just hate that seven eight double header so playing devil's advocate dan because i just heard something come out of your mouth that i think is important to identify you said that if a game goes seven innings and then there's a rain out does that game count as a complete game, right? That's what you're asking, rain delay, rain out, whatever yeah. whatever it may be. Inclement weather cancels the game. So if a guy has no hitter through seven innings, does that count as a, uh, a no hitter? The answer to that is obviously no, both by the records and by most reasonable people, I think, in this world would say that that's not a no hitter. But Major League Baseball agreed upon seven inning games being a complete game and a game that goes into the books. So I just am asking as a devil's advocate type question so how do you how do you how do you still say that it's not a no hitter 
in seven innings when it is a complete game that goes in the books. And when a guy throws a complete game shutout and still goes in the books with a complete game shutout, just not a no hitter. Well, because it's like I said, it's just you're not facing that lineup that, you know, third or for some guys fourth time, which is when that's when the hit's probably going to happen. They've seen you a couple times. They they know you're off speed. They know your fastball. They figure out your release or maybe you're tipping your pitches or something like that. If you're just ending it two innings early and well, it's just not the same feel. It's like it's kind of I don't know. It's like a weird way. It's like if you got like a hole in one on like a 30 yard part three or something like that, like a little part three course, something like that. It's like did you get a hole in one? Well, well yeah, but no. It's kind of like that, you know? Are we counting putt-putt hole-in-ones? It's not full-length golf, you know? Are we counting that little thing on the par three that you just chip it on? No, that's not the same. Glenn, you tell me what you think, and then I will round it out with my thoughts on this. Well, I, for one, am not a fan of the seven-inning doubleheader rule. I want nine innings. Might as well play nine innings. If you get, it was a rain out, it's covid you, you were going to play nine innings anyway. Why does two games being played in the same day have to go seven? You know, it's like little league rules. Oh, we got a doubleheader. You know, we got two seven inning games instead of, a you know, two a, two nine inning games that would have been, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. You know, we, we ask as baseball fans, as anyone with a baseball IQ in a sense, we want a universal DH. They gave us two seven inning doubleheaders. It just, <laughs> I, I, I don't know where the, we the, talked the, about the these connection rules, is. It's just, I mean, fuck. But it's to me, I just if this is what it's going to be in the future and if, you know, people want to recognize this, put it in its own little category. Other than that, you know, you can't say anything about it. It's not to me a a no hitter. You know, if you want to put it in a different category to recognize it, put an asterisk next to it if you want to. You know, other than that, you know, it's seven innings pitch, great baseball. But, you know, like Dan said, like you guys were talking about, it's that extra time through the lineup that is going to be the tell you know, telltale factor of um, how great that pitcher is actually pitching that day. I'm with you guys entirely. Um, more, more or less, Glenny, I think we have very similar thoughts on this. So I took it upon myself to really do some deep thinking about this. And I personally think that it should be considered a no-hitter, but I do think it should be underneath its own category. Um, when you look in perspective to what Madison Bumgarner was able to do versus what Carlos Rodon was able to do a little earlier this season and Joe Musgrove too. It isn't on the same plane as far as a feat as a baseball player and as a pitcher. I can totally understand that. But to me, the hard thing right now is that Major League Baseball signed the dotted line saying that seven inning doubleheaders were going to be considered two complete full games. So to not at least recognize this guy as throwing a no-no through whatever it may be, seven innings, six innings, five innings, whatever this game, if they signed on the dotted line saying that their games are going to be three innings and the guy throws a no-hitter through three innings, it's a complete game, it's a no-hitter. I think it's its own category, and I think that if they do continue these just whack-ass rules of seven-inning doubleheaders, you're going to have to create some kind of category because there's a couple things that I wonder. Like, you know, what, what else can you do in that situation? What if a guy's throwing a perfecto in seven innings? You know, like, it's so hard to do that through nine, let alone five, let alone two innings of perfect game baseball. It's hard to do. If a guy can get through 
three quarters of a game doing it. I, I also, and it's a complete game in major league baseball's eyes. I still think that it should be recognized as, as such. Um, I get, I guess that's, it's just a hard thing. I, I, I guess I want to know also, what do you guys think would be a good resolution to sevening doubleheaders other than not having them? Um, because the, the only thing that I can think of that's just ridiculous is if a guy's throwing a perfect game, what do they play two more innings? They say, ah, hey, strap it on. We're going to keep going. But I, I, I mean, what, what else do you do? Yeah, but then does that if that guy strikes out, does it count against his stats? Does that affect his war? Does that yeah, you know? Does yeah, that, right. And then you're, you're going time? down that rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. Then we're talking millions of dollars. Let's just go to the way they've been doing it for the, since the beginning of baseball and just play nine inning games like the game is supposed to be meant to be played. Simple yeah, as that. it's again that that comes from the it comes from Uncle Manfred with his uh, his disconnects his 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 senility. Uh, is getting in the way. Once in a while, he'll just uh, he'll decide to, you know, they, they go, we want universal DHs. All right, we'll move the mound back. Like, that's – it's <laughs> just, just no – <laughs> No, like, that's all we want is a universal DH. That's all we want. Well, here's the thing. We're going to fuck up every replay. That's just what we're going to do. We're going to implement the system that slows the game down, and then we're going to fuck it up every single time. So transitioning into our next subject – um, and this is going to be our last topic of the day. Um, Uncle Manfred has gotten most of it wrong, um, but there has been some things that I think that Major League Baseball has been trying to get right, and I think that has to do a lot with umpiring over the last, I'm going to say the last five years, maybe six years. Um, over the last decade, there's been some questions, especially with the implementation of instant replay in the Armando Galarraga imperfect game and other just monumental mess ups by umpires in the game, right? We are now in 2021 with some of the most advanced technology in the world, in the world's history for sure. And we are still walking around watching guys like you know not angel hernandez but guys like angel hernandez just continuously say his name he's an asshole oh he is like Voldemort. you just don't want to say it but i'm just hey, saying you say it three times he'll call a strike on a pitch four and four feet off the goddamn plate against your team <laughs> on sunday night baseball oh, but this is God. this is becoming a norm guys i mean angel it's hernandez's dumb. are coming a dime a dozen so what what is going on either – this is the question I ask myself every day. Is this an education problem? Is this a problem at the more fundamental educational process of teaching these guys who are going to become major league umpires how to umpire? Or is this something uh, – somewhat of a scheme to push us further into robotic umpires? I can't put my finger on it, but I feel like there's more missed calls over the last two years than I've seen in the last ten. Well, I think one also big reason is that home plate umpires are struggling more just because, I mean, guys are throwing faster. You're seeing 97 mile an hour cutters and sinkers and everything's ducking and diving. And, you know, it's, it's catching is getting so much better nowadays. I don't know if you guys see like the old highlights of guys, just even in like the nineties of like their pitch framing, 
it's it's a joke compared to what it is you know today and if, and if you go further back they just they just barely even caught the ball it was just they just in the middle of the plate and just was the you know the zone was huge but so I'll give some credit to the umpires that it's hard to see a wicked 97 mile an hour you know sinker that might have just caught the guy at the knees so I'll give a little slack there but I I just don't know what it is there's maybe there's not many new umpires and all these guys are just tenured and used to it I don't know but it's just there's just so many bad calls and then they make a call and it's like, okay, let's just make the call safe and we'll go to replay and we'll get it right. And then they, we all look at home. Okay. Look, okay. He's tagged. He's out. Everyone else. Yeah. He's tagged. He's out. The fans at the stadium tagged. He's out. And all of a sudden they come back and they say safe. Like there's, there's only one person that's off that way. And it's the one guy that matters. Well, it's like that Braves Phillies game, right? Alec bomb at the plate. I mean, Mm -hmm. that, that shouldn't have ever been a safe call. And I I mean, the Braves got, taken out of a, a, a win and there's there's plays like that happening more and more in the league and the interference call yesterday oh god that's what on i was the Brewers. ask you if you guys saw one of the oh worst one the of the worst was, calls i've ever seen the guy was turning to the period. dugout <laughs> and then the pitcher threw the ball he first baseman caught it so he was out and then apparently the pitcher impeded his way the, after he'd already been out for a second the runner wasn't even in the baseline if you like yeah watch it <laughs> he wasn't even in the baseline and it looked like he went and tried to create contact like lebron trying to fucking drive in on the lane you know he create contact and flop all over the place and it's just I, I i don't understand how the fuck that interference call is ever fucking called in that situation and i it, it's it's pathetic. It really is. These umpires are getting worse and they need to, can, I have no words for it because they frustrate me so much. I get it. You can't argue balls and strikes. And that's something that is never going to be able to sit there and play replay because that game will last five hours because oh they're going to be arguing yeah, balls no. and strikes constantly. I am not a fan of robot umpires, but you have yeah, these the guys that are opposite. sitting there. Just, we need the robo umps. Mommy, I, I can't That's an it takes away from the, too. see that takes away from the, the game the, the 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 beauty i guess you could say of baseball you 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 want those kind of but is it more beautiful when you see a strike called a strike and a ball called a ball and not a pitch that's <laughs> clearly a strike is called a ball and then all of a sudden there's a pitch that's almost in the dirt and they call it a strike and you're just like well that just changed the whole at bat now my team lost you never what? thought give me a fucking robot hold on hold on, hold on before we before we push this more i just gotta i gotta say this the robot umpire thing is another complete total um, – it's a completely totally different subject. I, I actually agree with Glennie. I do enjoy seeing somebody behind the plate and doing the game, you know, making calls. But what I'm wondering is, can there – is there a way we can implement both? Is there a way that we can have a robotic zone while also no. allowing guys to go ahead and make calls and things like that. I mean, obviously somebody's going to call you're, If yeah. you're, you're an umpire right now and you have been around and you're tenured and you're grandfathered in essentially and you're unable to do your job, I know if I'm at my job and I'm not performing to way where I need to be, I'm going to get canned. And you got to know there's got to be guys that are sitting there doing college ball, triple A, double A fucking games that are sitting there waiting to get up and be a major league umpire. So where's the next man up? Where's the accountability that the umpires need to take and sit there and not worry about their little fucking two minutes of fame and TV time because <laughs> everyone's going to sit there and he's yeah. going to blow up on Twitter for a day. And then Aaron, Angel Hernandez, I'm sure, fucking trends every fucking week along with Jabba the Hutt. He is trending what? every single week on Twitter when he pops oh, up. The fact well, that he still has a job and should, he should be thankful for and to be – just to be completely honest, the fact that he still has a job as a major league umpire, because 
anytime you look at him, any of his terrible calls throughout the years, the fact that he I, – I, it baffles me the fact that he's still an umpire in the major leagues and that he has not been absolutely excused of his job and completely fired on the numerous occasions that he has been wrong, and not only behind the plate with his terrible zone, but in the field as well. So – Bottom line is it's just it's time for MLB to address its umpiring problem, right? I mean, it's time 100%. for them to get next down to the bottom of it. And whether it is the next guy up or whether it's a, it's a fundamental educational problem. I mean, maybe we're just not doing a good enough job at the lower levels allowing or, or, or having more accountability at the lower levels to make sure that these guys are being put through the ringer before they make that jump up to the professional level, knowing how much – each and every one of these games means to so many people, as well as these guys who are up there trying to make a living. You're taking away at bats and, and, and plays and big games, and, and it could be a guy's debut for all we know, and it's his only way to, to get to the big show and to actually you know, make a living. Um, it's it's going to be something that I know is going to be discussed. I, I, I discussed over the next, I would say, four or five years, I think there will be a final decision. I think eventually they will move into a robotic zone. And the only reason I say that is because it's almost swayed me to the point of, of just saying, bring on the robots. I've been watching White Sox baseball my entire life. And there have been multiple calls over the last three seasons where I've really considered just, you know, like just bring them on, you know, because at one point or another, how many are we going to get wrong before we continuously get them right? At one point in 2011, I know that they had a statistic that they were getting 98.5% of calls correctly or 97.5% of calls correctly. I just don't see that anymore. I'm seeing 90%, maybe even 93 to 95 but that 5% is happening in some of the biggest moments of the ball game. And that's the problem. It's not how you miss or how many you miss. It's when you're missing these calls. And I don't know whether if that's nerves or if that's just an issue with understanding your, your place as an umpire trying to be bigger than the game. I don't know what it may be, but I think it's time that major league baseball addresses this problem and comes up with a solution. Um, but with that being said, guys, we, we fucking made it through another episode. Episode four. We're all the way Fantastic. through. Fantastic. Nice little long one, too. Lots yeah, and it's a little long. A lot going on. Yeah, a lot going, for sure. And and to get – I mean, we had our little out. Justin Fields powwow at the beginning, you know, but nice little Bears feel to this uh, baseball podcast. I'm sure but. people will enjoy that. Oh, yeah. Hey, and you're a Chicago fan. You know you damn psyched about Justin Fields. I don't care who you are. And if you're a Packer fan in Chicago, get out. Oh, if you're a Packer fan, you're probably sitting there fucking sitting in a dark room listening to, like, oh, My Chemical boy. Romance because Aaron oh, Rodgers wants to fuck out. Oh, God. Yes. Can't wait to see the blow up in fucking Green Bay. <laughs> but next next week, we'll have a lot more to talk about, more baseball to talk about, and then uh, maybe we'll have ourselves a little bit of a draft uh, next Saturday. I've got some ideas. but uh, Let's draft it out. We want to thank you guys for listening to the show again. Follow us at 35th Wayland on Twitter and Instagram. And we hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. Get up, get after it, and I'll see you next week. Peace.